slaves, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. But what does he mean when he speaks of the gospel? One of the best ways to understand a word is to look up the dictionary. And if you go to the Oxford Dictionary, you'll get these definitions. Gospel, noun, teaching or revelation of Christ. Each of the four books of the New Testament giving an account of Christ's life. Portion of this read at service. Thing regarded as absolutely true. See gospel truth. Principle, one acts on or advocates. The derivation is from Old English, good spell. Gospel, good spell, spell meaning news. Good news. Now, when I was young, I learned that a noun was a person, place, or a thing. And when you look at the gospel, the gospel is a person, and the gospel is a place, and the gospel is a thing. Because the gospel concerns the person Jesus Christ, who He is, what He has done. The gospel concerns a place, and that place is the cross, where the person, Jesus, gave His life. That's the good news. The one died so that the many could live. But the gospel is also a thing. The gospel concerns salvation, the means by which you and I come into a new and a living relationship with Jesus Christ. It's interesting when you ask people, what do you think about Jesus or what do you know about Jesus? Just last week, we had a Christianity Explored night on Thursday evening, and the question was, what did you think about Jesus before you started coming to this course? And there was a Chinese girl who had just been in the country for two weeks, and she said, I think of Jesus as the connection between us and God. Well, she might not know much about the Bible, but she knows quite a bit about Jesus because she captures that truth of the gospel. The message of Jesus is a connection between us who have missed the mark, we have fallen short, we have not lived or been the people that we should be, and there's God who is perfect, righteous, and just, and there you have Jesus who connects us to God. So I'd like very simply this morning to, to look at this gospel, which is the great message of salvation, the good news that God has for the whole world, and to just look at three points that we have from each of the three readings, from the passage in John 3, from Matthew 28, and from Romans 1. And the three points I'd like to make to you this morning is, are that the gospel is simple, the gospel is universal, and the gospel is powerful. And if we want to make an impact in our community, if we want to make an impact in our cities or in our towns or rural villages, if we want to make an impact for good for Jesus, we need to be convinced of these three great truths, and we need to know this message. There are many great biblical truths, there are much, there's much learning to be had, but we need to focus on those things that are of first importance. And the Apostle Paul made it quite clear, you could read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that he passed on what was of first significance, of primary importance. The death of the, that Jesus died, that he was buried, and that he was raised again, all in accordance 
with the Scriptures. So we look at John's Gospel, we look at John 3, and that brings us to our first point, that the Gospel is simple. It's not simplistic. When something is simplistic, it provides glib answers to very difficult questions. And part of the prayer this morning, we were praying for the global economic situation. That is not a simple, there's no simplistic answer to that complex problem. And I'm thankful that it's not up to me to propose an answer to that problem. But I can tell you that the problem that God has addressed in this world is not, an, does not, is not solved by a simplistic answer. God doesn't simply let bygones be bygones. He doesn't simply say, well, these people are good intention. They didn't understand. They didn't know. They didn't realize. No, the, the problem of sin is a real problem. The separation that is caused by sin is a real problem. And yet God provides a clear and a simple answer to that problem. Simple in that it's easy to understand. Not simple in that it's easy to accomplish. John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Simple but serious. We begin with a proposition, for God so loved the world. That's a statement. But you ask, well, how do we know? How can we prove this statement? It's, it's a big statement. Not only that God loved the world, but he loved the world with an, with an intense love. You start with a proposition and then you follow on with the proof. You see, we can speak and we can say many things. But one thing today that I think the world wants to see is evidence. We say that Jesus Christ changes lives. Do we show it? Are our lives changed by Jesus Christ? Because if, if we are saying one thing and showing another, that's not consistent, is it? That's not a very powerful or a persuasive argument. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world... And the evidence is that he gave his only son. That's how much God loves. That God loves with word and with action. But notice too that there's a promise connected to this proposition. It's not simply a statement that God loves the world. It's not even the proof that God gave his own son. But there's a promise here. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And how often do we find in our own experience that promises that have been made to us, guarantees that we have received, that we have been disappointed, we have been let down? And how often, if we're honest with ourselves, do we make commitments that we are simply not able, or at the end of the day, not willing to keep? Well, God's promises are 100% trustworthy. God's commitments are watertight. What He says, He means. What He promises, He provides. So today, if you're not yet a Christian, take him at his word that if you trust in him, the gift of eternal life is yours. Not by earning it, not by buying it, not by deserving it, but he says he's given his son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You don't need a degree in theology. You don't need higher education. You don't need to understand the Greek language or the Hebrew language. The simple promise is there. If you believe, then you have. If you believe in Jesus, eternal life is yours. What is deserved, namely perishing because of sin, is no longer what you receive, but instead, eternal life is yours. But notice as well, the passage continues with a correction because there are many misunderstandings. People have many 
uh, ill-conceived ideas of who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do. Verse 17 says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So you see, Jesus has not come to condemn. And it's interesting that if we're following Jesus, it's not our job to condemn. It's not our job to condemn the world. It's not our job to condemn people. It's not our job to condemn what we uh, don't agree with or approve of. We can identify what is wrong. We can present what is right. But if Jesus hasn't come to condemn, then we shouldn't either. You see, Jesus has come to save. He's come to rescue this world that is lost. He's come to give light to this world that is in darkness. He's come to give life to people that are spiritually dead in their sins and transgressions. Oh yes, very much alive physically and in many ways appearing to have life with all of its abundance and yet really dead, lost, darkened. And this is what Jesus has come to do. He's come to save. He's come to help. He's come to heal. He's come to bring life that's eternal. That means that never ends. And he's come to bring life that is full and abundant. So there's a correction And there's a conclusion. You see, the Bible is great in that it doesn't leave us with unanswered questions. It doesn't leave us in that sense of expectation. You know how these modern um, mini-series or these long-running series, whether it's Prison Break or Lost, or you come to the end of one year and you think that the year's over, but then there's a cliffhanger that brings you into the next year that you're wondering now what's going to happen with the next series. They're in prison, they're going to get out, now they're out, they're going to go back in, and you just don't know what's going to happen next. But the idea is the more you watch the show, the more you want to watch the show. Well, there's a conclusion here. Because if you look at verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. The gospel, the message of Jesus, demands a verdict. And the verdict that you give will bring a conclusion. If you say, yes, I believe, then the gift is eternal life. That's the promise. But if you say no, there's also a conclusion to the matter. The person who believes is not condemned. That means there's no guilt, there's no charge, there's no punishment. But the person that says, not now, not me, not, not, uh, I'm not interested... Well, that person stands condemned. Condemned already. Why? Because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. The verdict is, light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of evil because their deeds... Men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. So you see, this is the simple gospel message. Two ways to live. You can live in the light following Jesus. You can live in the darkness doing what you like, how you like, when you like, with whoever you like. The choice is yours. The verdict is yours. But the consequences, likewise, are yours. God says, here's the gift. You can take it, or you can leave it. Here's the good news. You can receive it or reject it. But with that choice and with that decision comes consequences. And you see, maybe this last week, we've seen in the news consequences Consequences economically, consequences politically. That decisions that may have been made many years ago, that we are now seeing the outworkings of those decisions. And people will say to you today, well, I'm living quite a happy life. I'm quite content. I don't need anything. I don't want anything. You're telling me there's good news? Well, I don't need that good news. You're telling me I need forgiveness? I'm not particularly interested in forgiveness. But you see, 
the message of the gospel has a way of working itself out over time. And when the person who believes in Jesus trusts in Jesus for the first time, there might not be that dramatic change of life, but slowly but surely, there's a change. There's a development. There's, there's a growth that the person who believes in Jesus becomes more and more like Jesus. But so too, the person who rejects the message over time and at the end of the day will realize that there are consequences for saying no consequences for saying not me that living in darkness brings its own consequences when you're in darkness you don't see clearly when you're in darkness it's hard to get perspective when you're in darkness you don't really know where you're going or what's happening and when you say no to the gospel there are consequences in time and consequences in eternity so the message of Jesus is a simple message I can explain it to you in a few minutes you can explain it to your friends Young people can explain it to young people. Old people can explain it to old people. New Christians can explain it to, to, to others. And that's the great thing is that you don't need to have a certain level of understanding, a certain level of biblical knowledge. You can take this one verse, John 3.16, and unfold the good news of God for the whole world. So the message of the gospel is simple. Second point, the message of the gospel is universal. It's for everyone. It's for every country. It's for every culture. It's for every language group. We were reminded just there of South Africa. Now, South Africa in itself is a country with different cultures, different languages, different, uh, uh, different traditions. And yet we can be confident that the message of the gospel is for all peoples in that vast country of South Africa, that the gospel is for the continent of Europe, as it is for the South Africa, for South America, for the United States, you name it. The gospel is for everyone at all times. Look with me at the end of Matthew's gospel to those final verses, which we call the Great Commission. We see Jesus giving his disciples their marching orders. He's returning to heaven, but he says to this group, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And you'll notice here, this word all is repeated. First of all, we're told that all authority rests in Jesus. That's what omnipotent means. Omni, all, potent power. Jesus Christ is all-powerful. Jesus Christ has all authority. So you see, Jesus came into this world in weakness. Jesus came into this world in meekness. He came into this world in poverty. He came to experience our life firsthand. But as he left this world, he wanted to remind his disciples, and he wants to remind us, that he has all authority at his fingertips. He has all power. And again, the events of these last weeks, we've been looking at the International Monetary Fund, the Federal Reserve, and we've been looking at these powerful figures of politics, powerful figures of commerce, powerful figures in banking, and people who can command vast sums of money and vast authority. And Jesus says, compared to every other authority, compared to every other power, there's nothing that can compare to the power, to the authority that he controls. 
All authority in heaven and all authority on earth is given to him. So you see, when he speaks, we listen. When he, when he commands, we obey. When he says go, we say go. And when he says speak, we speak. And when we honor him because of who he is, because of what he has done, and because of the authority that he and he alone has. And this is, again, one of the, the, the lessons that we teach from in the Christianity Explored, is that Jesus claims authority. He came, claims authority to teach. He claims authority to heal. He came, claims authority over evil. He claims authority even to raise the dead. And what's more, he claims authority to forgive sins. But he has authority over his people. And if you're trusting in Jesus, you're one of his people that he commands to go. So he has all authority, and he tells us, he directs us to, to go and make disciples of all nations. So if you think of the two words that we often use interchangeably, a disciple and an apostle, the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles. Well, if you think of disciple, the movement of the, 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 direction, the, the direction arrow of the disciple is from the person to the teacher, an inward motion. Jesus calls people to himself. And if you're not a, a disciple of Jesus now, that means that you must trust in him, believe in him, and follow him. So the invitation is to come to Jesus. But the word apostle is one who is sent out with a message, one who is commissioned to go. And what a Christian is, is both. A Christian is a disciple who comes to Jesus for instruction, who comes to Jesus for salvation, who comes to Jesus in faith, but a Christian is also one who goes out from Jesus to this world. And whatever the world is for you, that might be the people you study with, it might be the people you live with, it might be your people you live next door to, it might be the people you work with, it might be the people you're sitting next to here in church today. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. So the message of Jesus relates to all peoples everywhere, all cultures, all backgrounds. Now, there's a point of contact for every people, every place, every culture. And as his followers, we need to find that point of contact. And when you're getting to know a different, different person from their background, one of the best ways of finding that point of contact is to get to know that person better. When I first started Christianity Explored six or seven years ago, I had very little experience of talking to Chinese people. Over six years... Many Chinese people have come along, and you begin to find points of contact between Chinese culture and Christianity, Chinese understanding and Christianity. There are those points of contact. For example, there's a word in Chinese, a character in Chinese, that means righteousness. Now, this was a word that was introduced into the Chinese language when the first Christian missionaries went to China, and some, a Christian Chinese person showed this to me, and the character was the symbol for lamb in Chinese over the symbol for person. And that's a visual illustration of righteousness, that the lamb, Jesus, the lamb of God, we have his goodness over us. He gives us his goodness, his righteousness. So there you have a picture, and you can say, well, what's the word for righteousness in Chinese? And the person will, will draw it, and you say, well, that's the lamb, and that's us. Jesus is the lamb, and we receive his righteousness. And in each culture, there will be those similar points of contact. But where do we come in? Well, we're followers of Jesus. He says, go, we go. 
He says make disciples, we make disciples. Now it's interesting that it doesn't say make converts. A convert is somebody who comes to that understanding and comes to that point of, of commitment. Now conversions are good. It's not that we're denying the, the importance of conversions, but Jesus wants disciples. He wants people who know him, who follow him, who model his life, his character to others. And you see, to be a disciple, you need to know the Bible, you need to know Jesus, you need to know the gospel, you need to grow in that knowledge. And the more that you grow, the more that you can give. The more that you grow, the more that you can teach. The more that you understand the teachings of Jesus, the more that you can pass on that knowledge to others. So Jesus says he has all authority. He then says, go to all nations, we as a people. And that's the great underlining of the missionary activity of the church, whether to the country of India, whether to China, whether to Asia, to South America. You, we honor this commitment to go. But it's not simply to go to foreign fields, but it's to go to our own culture, our own country, our own friends, our own family, because many in this country know nothing of Jesus. In the last 30 years, for example, there's been a consistent decline in church attendance throughout Scotland, throughout Great Britain. But during that time, there's been a dramatic revival in many countries. For example, Peru. Speaking to Clive Bailey, when he was in Peru 30 years ago, there was a 1%, approximately 1% of the population was evangelical Christian. Today, estimates range from 20% to 25%. So Scotland has a downward slide. Other countries are having a dramatic upward increase of people coming to faith. So that says to us that we need to be more focused, directed to our missionary activity here. To go to Dundee, to go to Edinburgh, to go to Glasgow, to convey the gospel in terms that people will understand, whether cross-culture or within our own culture. So there's all authority in Jesus. All nations are our aim. And notice the final all, and that comes in verse 20. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That Jesus is with us. When we take his word seriously and when we go in his name, and that might mean leading a children's club, that might mean teaching at Sunday school, that might mean helping with outreach with the Christian Union, that might mean taking part in a Christianity Explored course, that might mean saying to a friend, would you read the Gospel of Mark with me? Jesus will be with you. It's not you and the friend, it's not you and the kids, but it's you and Jesus and whoever you're sharing the Gospel with. Jesus said, I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. But one final point I want to leave you, and this is critical, is that the gospel is powerful. You and I aren't powerful. The church of Jesus Christ in many ways isn't powerful. We don't have the authority. We don't hold the, the purse strings. We don't have the financial clout. But the gospel itself is powerful. And that's the words that we read from Romans 1 to begin the, uh, this, uh, this message this, this morning. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, says Paul. Power in this simple message. Power when it is proclaimed publicly. Power when it is shared privately. Power when it is lived out in the workplace, in the place of study, at home, in the community. There's power in this message. It's a simple message. It's a message for all people and for all nations, and yet there's a power. And that power is the very power of God. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The measure of that power is the measure of the power of God, which is infinite. 
You can't measure it. You can't, you can't comprehend it. Now, you see, when you, if you have the opportunity to speak, you might feel weak. You might feel limited. You might say, I don't have the eloquence. I don't have the words. I don't have the, the skills. And every preacher of the gospel will have those same feelings. What can I say to these people? How can I express this message? How can I say something? And, of course, the answer is you can't and I can't, but God can. And you see, the Apostle Paul was confident. He was confident to preach in Rome. He was confident to preach uh, throughout the Greek world, throughout the Jewish world. He was confident to face persecution, to face opposition. Why? Because he knew that God had given him a message that was dynamic, that was powerful, that was life-changing, and that it was for the Jew and for the Gentile. That's another way of saying for everybody. It's for those who are Jews and those who aren't Jews. It's, It's for everyone at every place at every time. Just if we remind ourselves of the words from Isaiah 63. Who is coming from Edom, from Basra, with his garments stained crimson? Who is this, robed in splendor, striding forward in the greatness of his strength? It is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. God is mighty to save in the Old Testament. He is powerful to save in the New Testament. And his message transforms lives today as surely as his message transformed lives 2,000 years ago. We remind ourselves of the person called Levi, or Matthew, in Luke chapter 5. Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them. Uh, uh, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So if you think of Romans 1 as a theory, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Look at Luke chapter 5 or any of the gospel accounts as the practice. What does Jesus say to Levi? Follow me. Simple, clear, concise. Levi obeyed the command. He got up, left everything, followed Jesus. What was the first thing that he did? He He holds a banquet. He brings together his tax collector friends and he brings together Jesus. As a tax collector, Levi, Matthew, was a man of money. And he used his resources to throw the banquet... Why? Because he wanted to bring this Jesus that he had just met, who he has just come to follow, together with the people that he knew best. And to hear the change, the gospel, to see firsthand what Jesus is able to do in the life of one person for the benefit of many. There will be many critics. There will be many people who stand off and say, well, why are you doing this? Why are you associating with people like that? Jesus made it quite clear. He's come to call sinners just like doctors have come to help sick people. He hasn't come for the righteous because, in fact, there are no righteous people. The only righteous people are those who think they are righteous in their own eyes, but they're not righteous in God's sight. So today we have a great gospel. There's great need, but there's great opportunity. God says that he's calling us to go to all peoples and all nations. God is commissioning us as a people to go. And he is also saying, as you go, I'll be with you and I will give you power. I will give you strength. I will give you the words to say. I promise that as my word goes forth, it will never come back empty. 
I have no way of knowing, coming here as I do occasionally, I have no way of knowing the impact of this message this morning. Maybe David will tell me weeks or months later, but there's no way of knowing what will happen when this gospel message goes out this morning, but I can tell you that something will happen. Why? Because God promises that something will happen whenever his word is proclaimed. So we have a powerful gospel, a universal gospel, and a simple, clear, concise gospel message. First of all, have you received it? Have you believed this for yourself? And secondly, are you willing to consider ways in which God is calling you to go, to make disciples of all nations, to be faithful to him in his gospel call, to tell your friends, to tell your neighbors, to, to think of ways of saying, here we are in Dundee. How are we benefiting the Christian good of this city? Here we are in Scotland. How are we working towards the Christian good of Scotland? Here we are in the world that God so loved, that he gave his one and only son. How are we showing that same love to this lost world? How are we bringing light into this darkened world? How are we bringing hope to men and women who today are in despair? The only answer to that question is by going forth with the good news of Jesus Christ, with confidence in God that he can do what he promises to do, that he will do what he promises to do, and that he will be pleased to use people just like us to accomplish his work in his way, in his timing, in this world that he himself has created. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks this morning for the simple message of the gospel, which is powerful.